the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. And welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. Kevin Sylvester, Paul Peck here, and of course Mike Gennetti from SpotTrack.com. There, there is so much to get to because we are the best time of sports, Mike. I mean, we have everything going on right now. You've got NFL. We're going to talk about that in a second. World Series and baseball. Hockey's a, a, almost a month in, and the NBA's already started. And, you know, I'm probably missing five other things, too, that are going on there. But an exciting time and a lot to track. Yeah, great time to be a fan. Great time to be in the business in terms of following these sports. And uh, certainly with the numbers, there's plenty to talk about. All right, let's kick it off with a little NFL talk because we do have a somewhat significant moment here coming up on the NFL schedule, Mike, which is the trade deadline, which is Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, which is October 31st. You know, in normally, there's it's always a big buildup and a lot of bust on the NFL trade front, but I think things are changing now. I think general managers, as they've gotten younger and a little more progressive, are thinking about it differently. We've already seen some trades already this year. Um, I need a guy, you got a guy, you know, would take my guy, Adrian Peterson, kind of one of those. But uh, but what what are, what jumps out at you as interesting about the NFL trade line, its effect on the cap, and who could potentially be trade possibilities because of what their contracts are? Right. So first, I, I agree. I think it's it's sort of a, a vice that teams are using more and more these days, especially in the offseason. Um, I think we've seen a lot of that around the draft, a lot of that, you know, even around the free agency time where it's just another tool teams are using in terms of circumventing this cap situation. Um, certainly this is, this is going to be an underwhelming week in terms of, you know, NFL based on the other sports. But what, what we're looking at here is, is there's two things. There's two elements. There's teams who need to get better for this year. And there's teams that have expiring veterans and they want to save some money. And they can do that by moving contracts, moving salaries that, that will essentially split eight weeks in nine weeks based on how this deadline is structured. So, so there's two, two situations teams are kind of, are kind of looking at this week at. Um, notable names, it, it's always sort of a crapshoot in terms of how you're, you're structuring who's available, who's on the block, because everybody's throwing, throwing smoke around these, these days. But, <laughs> but we, we've kind of Are we throwing smoke around these? Or, or? Isn't that why we're here? Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> let's you know, throw as much yeah. smoke as we can. All right, yeah. all right, so, so, so my <laughs> biggest smoke in terms of the names on my list kind of come out of, the, of Green Bay. So what I've done is I've identified teams who may feel as though they don't have the team in place to get to the, get to the finish line here. And the Aaron Rodgers injury out sure. makes Green Bay an obvious choice. Sure. sure. I, I think, I think they, they sort of see the writing on the wall. So, so the, the player on that team that long-term I think is probably not going to be there anyway is wide receiver Randall Cobb. Um, this is a guy who I think could have been cut before this year. He was high on my candidate to be cut um, just in terms of his money, his cap hits versus really a, you know an injury-prone couple of years and, and just a lack of production. He's not, he's not getting targeted. He's certainly not getting into the end zone. So that's a name that, that tops this, this trade candidate list heading into October. And that's a name every Packer. I got a good buddy, John, who's a Packer fan, and just, you know, Randall, he just curses about Randall Cobb all the time. It's one of those players that you're waiting and waiting and waiting for. Um, But, you know, again, there's a lot of reasons why teams would want him. And, you know, there there are a couple teams out there in the NFL that can use a wide receiver with some injuries that have occurred uh, throughout the season, or maybe they're better than they thought they'd be. Uh, think about use Miami, for example. There's a team uh, that's got four wins. Uh, Buffalo, that's a team that's got four wins. Um, you know, uh, the New York Giants, they're always looking for help at, at wide receiver. So there's, you know, there's a couple of teams that might be interested in a player like, uh, like Cobb. Yeah, I, I think he's a fit probably in a different system right now. I, I think that Green Bay system is so complex and really has so many weapons around him that 
they're, they may be afraid to even target him, you know, a, n- a number of times throughout the game just because the injuries have piled up so much with him over the years. So, yeah, I, I think his name is certainly out there, and there are certainly teams who would be listening this week. It sounds to me like you're saying the NFL was always the one sport that didn't do what all the other sports did, which was trade deadline, expiring contracts, get something for what I have now. We see it all the time in baseball, in hockey, in the NBA. The NFL never did it. And for people who wonder why, Mike, the the old NFL adage was it's too hard to take a guy in the middle of the season and drop him into your team, teach him your system, and make him an effective player. So that's why there never were a lot of trades around the NFL. But it sounds to me like you're saying general managers who think differently who might think cap before they think roster sometimes are saying i'm gonna lose this guy i'm not gonna be able to resign him if i can get something for him let me do it that's right i and really what you're seeing is an extension on that you're seeing teams become even more frivolous with, with the, the assets they have that aren't tradable so for instance you saw today byron maxson gets released by the maxwell gets released by the miami dolphins that's a huge cap it that they have to eat for the rest of the year but all they're doing is saying he's not going to be here next year he's not helping our team right now we're going to get cheaper in 2018 today, and we're going to open ourselves up a roster spot to, to acquire somebody if we need to in this next week. They're basically saying our cap is more important in terms of cap next year than right now. Explain the benefits for a team to do it now because they can put it on this year's cap, right? right? So if you have space on your cap and it's a guy you know you're going to get, is that is that basically what this is? That's exactly what happened in terms of Maxwell today. Um, and really, it's what I'm saying with these trades as well, right? So rather than wait for additional dead cap to set in or come off, they can trade a player right now, you know, a middle-of-the-road player, split that, sal- that base salary between, you know, your team and another team, and that's a cap move for both. That's that's half a cap for a new team and half a cap for your team. And really, both teams are winning in terms of how that that works. You know, when uh, you know, Paul referenced other sports, and you know, as fans, you watch and you say, "Wow, okay, the NBA." You see all these wild trades, right? There's multiplayer deals that happen. And to me, and this is, you know, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong in this, it's because of the salary structure in like the NBA where, hey, you have minimum, you have veteran minimum salaries here, you have the Larry Bird exception, uh, so on and so forth, where it's just slotting uh, a number in on your cap and on your roster. But it seems to me, and looking at all the, the teams on SpotTrack.com, that because of bonuses and you know, uh, the dead cap money that it doesn't work that way in the National Football League, or does it? It, it does to a certain extent, right? There's always this base P5 salary. That's the essentially the, the paycheck that the player makes every week. But you're right. It's getting more complicated as teams are understanding how the system works a little bit more, right? You're seeing a lot more per game bonuses. You're seeing bigger workout bonuses because that's a way to pay a player up front, out of the way, and then keep it off the regular season, right? So right now, there's less money for the teams to have to, to have to function with. Generally, it's a base salary and some per-game active bonuses. Everything else has been paid. It's done. They don't have to think about it anymore. Um, so, so there's less m- money sliding throughout the year. But, again, back to this trade, trade deadline, that's where teams can cut off these base salaries right now. They can say, okay, y- you know, we can save ourselves close to a million dollars by moving player X to another team, which – Maybe that's not something they use this year, but again, they can roll that into next year. So they're, again, they're getting themselves in a situation where maybe from a football standpoint, it's not the best move for them right now, but from a business standpoint, that does win for them next year. And, and I'm guessing too, the bonuses, like I just, you know, we're trying to strip it down and simplify it as, as best as possible for the fans out there, the bonus money. So all those different bonuses they give, game bonuses, incentive bonuses, uh, signing bonuses, 
that's what the team keeps with them, the dead cap money, if you will. It, it's to kind of penalize them for moving on to a player by circumventing, yeah. uh, by signing all these bonuses. Do, do I have that right? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, so that is the bulk of the dead cap you see when you're when you're looking at a player's contract. A signing bonus that's already been paid, an option bonus that's already been paid, um, roster bonuses that are generally paid early in March. So again, it's it's a way to pay a player upfront early. It, that does sit on that team's cap throughout the year. So you know, you, you go to a trade or release a player. That's the kind of cap dollars that stays with your team. Where, where I mentioned the per game active bonus, that's sort of a best of both worlds, right? That's that's a situation where it's paid weekly. It's kind of like part of the base salary. It, it's truncated based on sixteen games. So you know, if somebody has a five hundred thousand dollar per game bonus, you're talking thirty one thousand dollars per week. So perfect example. You've got a situation like Marshawn Lynch. He gets suspended for this upcoming week with the Raiders. He's, he's losing one-seventeenth of his base salary, which is about $79,000. He's also losing $31,250 because he's missing. He's, he won't be active for this week's game. So that's a situation where the Raiders kind of covered themselves in terms of if they needed to release him, if they needed to trade him, if, they, if something like this came up. They're able to take that money off their books because one of their players made a mistake here. You mentioned Randall Cobb. Are there any other names that jump out at you as prime candidates to potentially be traded next week? Yeah, there's some big names. Again, you know, it's all question marks, just kind of based on how the the, the contracts are structured and how the teams sort of project the rest of the season. Obviously, the name Dwayne Brown has to come up. He's an offensive lineman with the Texans. He's been holding out the entire start of this year. You know, the Texans came out and said, we're welcoming him back. We're not going to move him. You know, I don't believe that for a second. You know, <laughs> right. And he just signed this. Yeah. He just came back this yeah. week, he just right? came back, I believe, yeah. yesterday morning. He, he basically came back, which <laughs> which the only reason he's done that is because he wants to accrue this year. Yeah. Right? So he doesn't want sure. he doesn't want everything to toll into next year. So And that so, works for his pension, too, everything. and all those things. Right. You got it. Yeah. You got it. He wants the experience. But I, I'm... I'm I'm convinced that 100% that they're at least trying to shop him. Um, and he's he's a formidable offensive tackle. Certainly you see some teams who need that, you know, with last night's game, the Eagles and, and other teams as well. But, you know, that's a name up there that's certainly being thrown around. You know, there's some defensive side of the ball, guys. I, you know, a guy like TJ Ward with the Buccaneers, that's a, that's a veteran who, who fell out of favor in Denver and has had almost no role in Tampa Bay in terms of the first seven weeks. He's He doesn't appear to be happy. He's got a pretty um, favorable cap hit in terms of, of a new team acquiring him. I, I think that's a name that gets tossed around if, for some secondaries that are banged up right now. Um, and then really, it's team by team. You've got a bunch of Colts. You've got a bunch of 49ers, a couple of Browns, teams that are certainly going nowhere in terms of how the uh, the season projects. And, uh, you know, there's some players that can probably switch in to, to a more favorable situation for them. And, and this is, you know, what Paul mentioned. I mean, for every football fan listening, this is kind of a new – New thing where more trades are happening. This used to, the deadline used to be a little earlier uh, in October. It was like four or five weeks. To, it used to be like the first week in October. Yeah, it used to be right in. It was like, yeah, there's no reason to make a trade, right? I mean, you're so, so early in the season, and no one ever made a trade, it seemed. Uh, really, uh, what the Colts, when they made that big trade with the Buffalo Bills that one year, that's like one big Eric famous. Dickerson. Right, Cornelius Dickerson, Bennett, Cornelius Bennett. Yep, like, yeah. wow, that was like, whoa, not only is that a big trade, but it, it happened during the season or right before the season or a couple weeks in, right? Wasn't it a couple weeks in? I think it was in the, yeah. in the first month of the season. Yeah, it yes. was. It was like games have been played and they made this deal, but you didn't. You don't see that in the National Football League. But with that later deadline, um, I, I think it helps teams figure things out. Like, hey, we can't lose this guy for nothing, and we're not going anywhere. Right. And Paul, to go back to your point, it is certainly a business move, you know, in terms of the money. But 
but there are also some players who I've identified here who just don't seem to fit in their current system either. You know, and, and that's where teams really need to step up this week. That's where teams need to say, well, okay, we made a mistake here or, or, or we've kind of changed this in, in a way that this player doesn't fit anymore and they've got to get value for there. I mean, I'm looking at guys like Theo Riddick in Detroit. That, Detroit's a great team. Riddick's a, a nice player, a cer- a certainly a good pass-catching running back. That's a player who can help a lot of teams right now. And, and yes, he's got a new contract, and they'll take a little bit of a dead cap hit for that. But that's a player that could move. TJ Yeldon, Jacksonville, same situation. Drafted high as a running back. He's certainly been surpassed on the depth chart there. Jeremy Hill, exact same situation in right. Cincinnati. But here's he's the been, question for you, passed. Mike. Here's the question for you, Mike. Yeah. Um, what what's the market for one of those guys when it when first off the acquiring team knows he's on an expiring contract um you know what are we talking about a sixth round pick a seventh round pick you know i mean that's where i think this gets interesting is oh yeah all right let's trade randall cobb because they don't need him but at what point is the return not enough so that the packers would say Let's keep him in case something happens and we get an injury and Devontae Adams gets hurt. We might as well have him around if all we're going to get is a seventh-round pick for him. And on the flip side of it, the team that might be interested in him, if they have an immediate need, that's one thing. But if it's kind of one of those things like, yeah, he'll make us a little better than we are now, is it worth giving up any draft pick for a guy that you know you're likely not going to keep and re-sign? So, so that is the thinking of every NFL GM up until two years ago, in my opinion. That, that's how that's the old way of looking at this is it, it's not really a, a huge value so why do it at all we've got to look at the Patriots they do it every year they do it at the deadline they do it in the offseason they do it in August and September when the season's about to start they do it all the time because a little value is better than no value and and that's just how they look at it they they are they are the masters right now at getting rid of players that they know are past that prime and that's where teams need to be right now, this time of year. They need to be looking at a player where if it's not a system fit, if it's not a business fit, or if they can just stand to save you know, half a million dollars for next year, they need to be doing that kind of thing right now. Well, I also think, too, the parity this year in the National Football League, You know, there's so many teams that are in it right now. So, I mean, that's an argument even more for... But much like know, in hockey, that sometimes exactly. prevents exactly. trades because nobody's willing to give up on the season or perceive to say, well, let's get rid of this guy be- because our season is over. Yeah, but much like uh, unlike hockey, where the lifespan of a GM in hockey, you know, they usually say about five years, right? They'll give you... In the NFL, you got three. <laughs> so I think GMs would be more anxious to make a deal if they can, particularly for a lower round pick, a sixth or seventh rounder. Give it up first and seconds. Now, that happens at draft day, right? I mean, that's, right. that's not going to happen uh, now. I'm interested to see what happens in the next week um, you know, with football, and hopefully we get some more trades. It'd be great to talk about what it means and what the money means uh, with the contract. You can track it all at spottrack.com. I'm interested in the World Series. Not as much, though, Mike, if it was the Yankees and Dodgers, um, you know, like back in the day. I'm dating myself here, but, uh, Paul, I know you – well, we all remember. Who are we kidding? We sure. all remember Lola Sorda and uh, Billy Martin, uh, the great – Reggie day. Jackson with the three home runs. Oh, you know, love Reggie Jackson. You know? Well, how much money would he be making uh, nowadays? Wow. I mean, he'd be making a ton of money. But there's a lot of guys making a lot of money, a lot of guys with value. Let's just talk about the makeup of the, the Dodgers and the Astros, which – I'm going to get used to that since they used to be both in the National League. Now the Astros are the American League representative. But let's talk about this World Series matchup. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting setup in terms of how these two teams are laid out. I mean, we've got we've got 200 plus win teams. It's been decades for that. So so really, you're looking at a couple of really top tier teams built completely different, right? You're I mean, 
Houston actually aligned themselves more like the Dodgers with the trade deadline this this year. So they, they sort of saw the writing on the wall. They knew where their deficiencies were, and they kind of got themselves in a position to, to be ready for this long stretch. Um, financially, the, the Dodgers are obviously going to be light years ahead of where Houston is in terms of their payroll. That's just how life works, right? Big cities, big markets. The, the Dodgers, once again, for the fifth straight year, according to our numbers, had the top payroll in baseball. We're looking at $256 million in payroll. Oh. But, oh but, but Amazing. To, $50 million of that is players who weren't playing on their team this year. Oh, so, even you know, worse, you right? Know, that's, a, that's a very football thing to do. But yes. yeah, There's they, no room left for Magic to pay himself, that's right? Right. That's right? Dead cat money in a baseball team. Somehow they team. still survived, right? So, yeah. so we're looking at the top payroll versus the literal, literal middle payroll. The, the, the Astros had $149 million. The, the league average this year was 150 So you're looking at the middle of the road and the top of, and the, top of the hill. So you've got two really dynamic teams in terms of the money. Um, structurally, obviously, the Dodgers put a ton of money into their pitching, you know, starting with tonight's starter, Kershaw, and, you know, $30 million, the top salary in all of baseball. Um, there, there's an interesting kind of flux in how the bullpens are sort of structured the same way in terms of paying a couple of big guys and then, you know, minimum salaries from there out. Um, you've got a lot of youth. There's a lot of youth throughout this, and we'll talk about the, that a little later in terms of how the youth and, and those paydays really benefited these teams going forward. But, um, you know, one of the things I took a look at this week is, and I like to do that with, with the big markets and the big, uh, the big sports leagues, is how do these teams get built? How do they come together, right? You know, you know because there's so many ways to acquire players now. So I, I just took a, a little bit of time in terms of an article I wrote for, for Spot Trek this week, and I looked at how these two teams got to where they are today. And I was, I was blown away to, to, to see that of the you know, 60 players that these teams ended up with at the end of the year after the September call-ups, 35 of them were, were brought aboard via trade. So, so wow. we, we get back to a situation where the NFL doesn't know how to trade yet. Baseball's been doing it you know, in, in, in huge numbers for a long time. And, and really, a lot of these guys that you're seeing in these rosters were thrown in trades way back five, six years ago, you know, back early in their careers when they, when they were kind of tossing players. And now here we are, and, and they're, they're in the World Series, and they're competing, obviously, for a championship. I got to think the Astros love your website. <laughs> no, right? I mean, weren't they? Aren't they the analytical team? Some of it, uh, it's a little questionable. Yeah, yeah. some of it uh, questionable. Yeah. We'll leave yeah. that part aside. But yeah, we'll see if the Cardinals had a couple extra page views last year. But <laughs> <laughs> but, but they are they are the anal- uh, the analytics team. That's right. Yeah, uh, you know, certainly that that's their their mantra. They're young. They're they're injecting this, this, the analytics in terms of how they're playing their game, how they're building their team, how they're structuring their team, how they're starting players, how they're moving players around. That's that's sort of new baseball. I'm not sure it's where it's going to be going forever. I think, you know, there's going to be some middle ground in terms of, you know, kind of keeping things fresh in terms of these analytics and also figuring out which analytics may not be worth. But, but, it may, but, you know, kidding aside, it matters with the money, Paul. Right. I mean, like the team, well, right? Yeah, it also yeah. happens to matter that, that their two best players are still on essentially entry-level contracts we're talking about jose altuve and carlos correa i mean they're they're it's unbelievable how little they are being paid for what they've produced so so really so so for those who don't know the the mlb structure in terms of how this this pay works is it's similar to the nfl there's a there's a rookie moratorium right there's four years for for a rookie contract in the nfl in baseball it's actually a six-year process there's three years where you make right around the minimum salary. You can, you can make a little bit more based on production and things like that. And then you, you go into a three-year arbitration process, which is essentially there's, there's pay ranges for year one, year two, year three, and you can make a little bit more. So for six years, you know, if you're a, base, a, a major league-ready player, 
you're going to be an incredible value for these teams. And, and, and what the Houston Astros have done, and a few other teams as well, is, is essentially this money ball that we talk about, is they've, they've adopted players who they knew were going to be ready in these six-year windows and, and found the right window to spend money on veterans to kind of complement that system. And that's how they've built these winning teams for the last two seasons. It, it's about using your young players with veteran paydays because obviously they can't pay, you know, $140 million every single season like they've done right now. They've got to be able to pick and choose. So, so they, they, they know where they stand in terms of these, these team-controlled players, and, and they're, they're willing to pay in this window. I love the, the term adopted because for the trades, that's certainly uh, how they've done it. All right, hey, real quick to kind of wrap up this uh, World Series stuff. Quick predictions on the World Series, Paul. Who do you like in the series? I like series? the Astros. I've been. I, ha- I have some friends of mine that work for the team, so I've always been sort of keeping an eye on them all year. I, I think they're an incredible. Verlander has put them over the edge in having just a stud go out and mow people down. Pitcher, not that Kershaw isn't that guy as well too. That, but but they're just so good. Those to have your best players and some of your biggest producers be your middle infielders. That's incredible at any level of baseball. Mike, what do you like? I, I agree, and, and I'm going to go one step further. Obviously, it's Verlander and Keiko, but I think it's actually the third pitcher. I I, I like the Astros that can go three deep with the pitchers, and versus versus the Dodgers who are a little bit a little bit older, might might not be able to handle this time of year in terms of you know the length of the season and and obviously the pressure for those players who haven't been this far in terms of the, the World Series. So I'm going to say Houston as well. All right. I got to take the Dodgers just because everybody can't take the Houston Astros. So Paul and Mike are with the Astros. I'm with the Dodgers. Today's cap fact. All right. Our cap fact, we're going to look at the, some the best value in baseball, best value teams in baseball. Mike, and you guys have a unique system in how you calculate the best value teams. Yeah, so we, we have what's called our true value statistic. It's something we, we generated about five years ago. It's basically a mathematical formula that takes the player's average salary and their current statistical production and normalizes it based on other players of that position. So, so we essentially get a listing, a ranking of every player at a position with a score, with essentially a Madden grade in terms of how that player is. Sounds like is stuff evaluated. you do on the back of a napkin. It's pretty. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Normal stuff at a coffee shop. Yeah. Right? Oh, no. It's a, the spotrack.com supercomputers work yeah. hard on this baby, yeah, don't this they? Is, this is Sounds where, like it to me. Yeah. It does. This is where the nerd gets real, real heavy here. So, but, but it does give us a pretty cool list. So, so we do this every single day. So, every single day, there's an updated list in terms of how these players, and, and in football, same thing every week, we, we update this. So, we've got a list of, of, of the best values in the game, you know, sortable by position, by team, and all that. And, and obviously, we're at the end of the, the baseball season, so I, I wanted to kind of bring into light, you know, essentially who's topped that list in terms of two, seven, 2017 for baseball. And, and really, the interesting look here is that we've got we've got World Series players sort of loaded up at the top of the list here, as you might imagine. But interestingly enough. You know, we've got we've got high, high salaries at the top of our list this year. And that's something new. It's very, very hard for a player with a maximum salary to get on top of a value list, as you can imagine. Sure. Because, you know, we've got we've got hundreds and hundreds of baseball players that we're looking at here and and mathematically are comparing against. So so the the fact that Clayton Kershaw is the 36th best ranked pitcher in baseball in terms of our value is impressive because $30 million is a heck of a lot higher than 535000 which a lot of these pitchers are, are pitching on this year. So so it just goes to show how 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 good he really is on, on a week-in, week-out basis. You know, you, you, I'm just hearing that, you know, the $30 million to 535000 It's kind of like the spread in media, Paul. <laughs> yeah, right? right. <laughs> sure. 
You wish. I'm better than that guy. Why is he making thirty million you wish. bucks? Yeah, um, I've never been one of those thirty million a year guys. Yeah, you're no Kershaw. Yeah, no, no. no. <laughs> but it is crazy. It is crazy to think that a thirty million dollar salary shows up on any value list. That's right, and uh, it's a testament to him. And we've got other guys like that this year. We've got Mike Trout, twenty four million dollars, number nine overall in terms of batters, not wow. just outfielders, batters. So he's. He's annually in our top 10, you know, no matter what his salary is. He's just that good. He's, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer waiting to happen. He's, I, he's just that good. I want everybody to go to SpotTrack.com to find out the number one value player. But who's number two? Yeah, number, number two, he's on a $3 million salary. He's got stats across the board. He's a 10-stat guy in terms of how, how he lays out. He's at Jose Altuve for the, for the Astros. And really, if you haven't seen his stats and really his contract as well, you're missing out. This guy just absolutely loads it up every single day in terms of doubles and triples and stolen bases. And his $3 million salary is just absurd. It's just, it's crazy. And he's on it for two more years in Houston. They're getting an unbelievable value with this guy. He's like Barry Bonds before Barry Bonds wanted to hit home runs. Yeah, and did whatever he did. And he's a middle infielder. Like, we already already touched on it. He he doesn't play a power position. He's a middle infielder. You know, that's an interesting point. So, So we value these players positionally. And for a long time, that's how we also created market values for these players, which is, you know, another discussion. We essentially give these players... Uh, price based on how well they're playing and and for a long time we did it you know second baseman versus other second baseman and we just couldn't do that anymore we had guys like Robinson Cano and Altuve and those guys who were so far ahead of every other second baseman in baseball that it just it wasn't fair to even put those guys together so now it's batters you know batters are batters you know where they bat in the order matters and we account for that a little bit but you know Jose Altuve he's an outlier he's an he's he's one of the best players in the game he's certainly going to win the MVP this year all All right Cool, uh, cool cap fact there it is really good. It uh, is with the good. best value in baseball. All right, now time for our contract of the week segment, and we're going to make it contracts of the week because it's NFL-related, Mike, and both players are in similar situations. Uh, and this all came up over the weekend. Carson Palmer breaking his arm out for the rest of the season. Lots of thought it could very well be the end of his career. And then in Monday night's game, as good as the Eagles are, this is a big loss for them. Jason Peters, their starting left tackle, 35 years old, torn MCL, torn ACL, out for the season again. You wonder, is it the end of his career? So the question goes to you, what kind of impact is it going to be on the Cardinals and the Eagles, not only this year missing them, but if they choose to decide not to come back based on where their contracts are? Right. So so in the case of Carson Palmer, which you know is unfortunate because I know he contemplated coming back at all this year, so this is, this is a tough blow for him and the Cardinals, obviously. You know, this is a guy who, who who hasn't been maxing out in terms of his salaries. He's been kind of taking the middle of the road and just to kind of keep the, the, the Cardinals in play in terms of their cap structure. Um, he's got one more year left on this deal. You know, he's set to make $14 million next year. Um, none of it's guaranteed. Um, he does have a decent amount of dead cap. So if he does retire, my assumption is if he doesn't retire early, the Cardinals will release him because I just can't see them keeping that kind of cap figure in terms of um, 2018 going forward. But they'll, they'll take a $6.5 million dead cap hit in terms of next year, even if he's released or, or does retire. So he's in a, a bad situation in terms of that contract. You know, he's, he's done plenty for himself over the year in terms of wins and dollars. He's made $175 million, you know, in 15 years. So That's okay. Yeah. He's, he's, I think he's okay. But I, I do think this is the end of the line for him in terms of the Cardinals, most likely in terms of a career but uh, he will leave a little bit of a dead cap pit next year as well. Yeah, and they may have a top 10 draft pick to try to go get their replacement at quarterback as well, too. You know, it was fascinating. I was in Phoenix when, uh, you know, for a golf tournament, PGA tournament, uh, 
in 2017, you know, right in the offseason. And he's put his house up for sale. It's like huge news. Carson Palmer right. selling his house and moving. So it was he was not coming back. And Larry Fitzgerald was taking part. So everybody's talking to Larry Fitzgerald. Like, is he coming back? He's like, well, I don't know. And ends up coming back. And he had to see this injury really difficult uh, for the Cardinals. You know what's neat for me, you know, running spot track and, and looking at this thing, you know, way too much every single day. Those kind of news stories, that, that's what generates traffic on spot track for me. I mean, just the silly stuff, the, the ancillary stuff, you know, obviously guys do off field things and that kind of things. And the first the first place people go is to look for their contract and how much money they're making or how much money they're going to cost to be cut and things like that. So those kind of stories break and, you know, spot track takes an, a, you know, a, a real favor to that. Well, it's a great resource for everybody out there to, to go check out in every sport. Uh, where there is a big contract. You can find all the information at Spot Track. Thanks for listening to the Spot Track podcast. For Mike Gennetti, Paul Pack, I'm Kevin Sylvester.